Audio Astronauts. Two dudes pondering the depths of modern recording. way that we listen to modern music is completely imperfect and i think that we're not exactly aware of these things because we've just kind of taken them for granted but microphones are an imperfect way to capture a sound you know your ears are, are way better and then so you take this microphone diaphragm that is you know vibrating in space you know, um, making an electrical charge, being going through a preamp and a circuitry into the computer and this and that. And then uh, the way that we listen to it is to take, do the reverse and push it out through this speaker that vibrates in space. And uh, how in the world is that supposed to actually equate to what you would hear in the room with your ears? And so I think the whole quest is <laughs> that we've been on, you know, the last several years is trying to capture these sounds as best as possible. What kind of microphone, what kind of preamp, where do you put it? What's the instrument, this and that. And then, you know, I started thinking about how it all kind of boils down to people listening on headphones, which don't even get me started about how imperfect headphones are. Yeah. So I was I was thinking about that and and wondering what you know your thoughts about this this journey. Well, this imperfect like with, journey. <laughs> like with most things, I have lots of thoughts about this. Um, yeah, I figured. <laughs> you know, I want to I want to take this from a different angle though, because I could definitely rant about the state of technology in terms of how people listen to music, because I think that's really been, have you, um, have you seen that cartoon where it's like, you know, has all the, the, the pictures of the microphones and the consoles and all that, you know, and, and you're spending like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars and it boils down to like a $10 headphone. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, and that's definitely frustrating from somebody that's, you know, been, as you said, on a quest trying to capture sound in a way that's, you know, you present it in a way where it, it moves people. Um, but I will say this, that when I first started recording, you know, didn't have very much equipment, you know, not great microphones or anything. And yeah. I was never actually, I, I was started. never, never trying to capture a sound in the room right? Like there's these two philosophies. One is kind of, I was going to ask you that next. Yeah. Yeah. This, there's a purist philosophy, which is like, um, you could say somebody Burnett. like, yeah, T-Bone Burnett or Glenn Johns or somebody yep. where it's yep. like, you get a, a band in a room or whatever, you know, orchestra or whatever it is. Yeah. And you, Music, you're trying arts, to be Music. as transparent as possible as an engineer, right? You're trying to have your microphones do a, a job so that you don't know that they're there. You're trying to have all of your equipment work in a fashion where the listener doesn't know that there was, you know, all of this stuff happening in order to capture it. Right. And you know what? I think that's all about history. I think it's about, you know, the first recordings uh, with the wax cylinder and, you know, the phonograph and those sort of things were, were uh, a mechanism to transport 
that music into people's living room um, as opposed to going to a concert hall to hear uh, music or something like that. And so, you know, uh, through jazz and classical and all of these, you know, early recording, that's sort of what the philosophy was. What does this th person you know, or group sound like? Whereas the Beatles, they kind of push the envelope on that, right? And the Beach Boys and, you know, other other artists with the multi-track. Right, in that, in that, the advent like of the multi-track. Mid, mid 60s era. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, when the kind of multi-track started happening, because I think when the Beatles started, it was, there was still basically mono yep. recordings were being put out. So yep. they, they kind of went through the period of stereo being invented, you know, figuring and out. And it was a throwaway. Yeah, trying to figure out they how to actually like, use stereo. Because they knew mono was going to be released. They like spent a few minutes on the stereo mix and we're just yeah. like, ah, here you go. Right. <laughs> but but so so that's the one the one philosophy, this kind of capture what's in the room. And then the other philosophy would be to try to make something that's that's artistic using the tools, right? So if right. you think and I've always kind of used this metaphor, but if you know, like a painter, so as a recordist, I'll keep using that word because I feel like it, it kind of best describes this idea of if somebody who's producing or engineering or mixing or whatever, but they're doing it in a, in a fashion in which they're trying to make a piece of art with the music, as opposed to the music is art. And then I'm just someone here to capture the art. Right. Well, see, that's what, when you say recordist, that's what it makes me think of is somebody like Alan Lomax or somebody that would go out into the field and do those field recordings of the blues musicians and things like that for like the Smithsonian and, and okay. you know, in history, you know, mm -hmm. but when I think, I think about producer, when I think having a hand in the art, not just this, this person, this group is doing this thing and I'm capturing that thing, but you're actually influencing what those songs turn out to what the album, what the song turns out to be. Um, right. You know, and, and your choices, like you're talking about the paintbrush, you know, your choices uh, are, you know, how big the stroke is and what the color is and all that. And, and so your tools are microphones, compressors, you know, any kind of DSP reverbs, delays, that kind of stuff. Yes. As, as an engineer, that's true. I think that's yeah. maybe when I'm using that word recordist, I guess I'm actually speaking more to my own journey, which is, you know, I didn't, I never said like, I'm a producer. Like when I was, right. you know, a, a, a guy like with a guitar recording himself, I, I, I wasn't thinking in those terms. I was thinking more, you know, I'm a person trying to capture this thing, but, but I quickly fell in love with that. I fell in love with the art of, capturing something and putting something together uh in a recording sense Absolutely. that was something that was unattainable live yeah it's yeah right like this is impossible i want to make something that is undoable live and you know what's funny i've succeeded at that because nothing i've ever made has been able to be reproduced live in the way that it sounds <laughs> no no exactly um but you know, well, neither the, neither did the Beatles. And that's when when they stopped touring. So yeah, that's very true. But I, but I will say this: that so we have these two kind of pillars, if you will, of ways to go about approaching recording. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that technology has made it easy for people to get the best snare sound, the best you know, they just get all these samples, Sample. and then everybody has. <laughs> 
a, a drummer playing in their DAW, right? Playing this sick groove with all these great samples. It's like, well, everybody has the so, ability to make something sound better than it can sound live, right? Which is it, right in line with social media and Instagram filters and all of that stuff. It's this hyper kind of hyper reality, which yeah. is which is a whole different subject all altogether. But you know, and everybody is a producer these days. Well, I don't know that it's true that everybody's a producer. I think that everybody everybody's has the, calling themselves producers. Everybody has the ability <laughs> to make something with this big um, well of tools that are available to everyone. So, what's the difference between making something and producing something? Because what I see people, you know, I'm uh, been watching TikTok videos and stuff lately, and specifically following the hashtags about audio engineering and, and producing and things like that, and um, you know, literally everybody's calling themselves a producer. So, and it, and the way that they're describing it is not producing like you and I talk about where you do pre-production with a band and, you know, all, all of those, all of the stuff that goes into that. It literally is opening up your DAW and then doing producing a piece of content. Yeah. I think that, um, a lot of it producing gets, uh, is really like beat making and stuff. And now. that's, so and that's where that's, it's, that's where the diversion happened. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that all of those, the name of producer, I mean, it's probably like this in the film industry too. You know, it's like as a director, like what hat do you wear? You know, I'm sure there's some directors that are, you know, really hands-on with every single element of what's going on. And then there's probably going to be some directors. Like a Ridley Scott. I hear yeah. he's really like that. But, you know, maybe that's a bad comparison because in the film industry, you know, producers are people that kind of. They're they, money people, basically. Well, or they're people that fulfill the greater needs of the production as a whole, where the director's yeah. more in charge of, you know, the vision, right? Right. Um, where I think in, in music, a producer is in charge of the vision. Right. Right. So if you, if you say it, that's, if that's how it works, then it, you know, if somebody's making beats and they're kind of, they're overseeing how the, the song or the production is going to end up, then they are a producer. But most hip hop tracks these days have like, you know, eight different producers on one track. On one song? On one song. So splitting yeah. the writing credit and the royalties must be a bitch. <laughs> well, it's like that in, I think in all modern music, um, yeah. for writers, we may have touched on this, uh, before, but there's definitely, you know, some of these songs that are in the top 40, top 10 or whatever from various country, yep. you know, pop rock, if that's even still a thing, um, you it know, is. pop music, all of them have multiple writers and it's not because it's a band. <laughs> it's because there were yeah. four or five different people that, that actually helped write the song. And then like you're saying with hip hop, I think producer is more of the like category that fills because yeah. there's not as much writing, you know, like usually with like um, the lyrics and stuff might come from one individual, but then there's a lot of ideas that are presented by lots of different people. Sure. Um, musically, which is actually an, an in, could be an interesting topic on its own is dissecting the culture of different styles of music and how they're made and what those, what roles people take within those cultures. Right. Yeah, it's very yeah, different. Sure. Cause what we're talking about is from our own experience, which is, 
you know, rock bands or, or even, you know, jazz bands or, you know, um, stuff that's very traditional in terms of, you know, four or five people playing instruments and then, you know, trying to capture that and make a, a recording out of that. So, right. You know, I think there's a lot of different things in the culture now that, that don't have those formulas that are very different formulas. And as a matter of fact, I think that as a whole, our culture has moved to where the formulas are a lot more similar to the production of hip hop records in Absolutely. all genres than they oh, are yeah. what we're talking about, um, which is recording bands or, um, and even I don't record bands. Not really. Not re I record I musicians, you know, individually usually. And some, you know, obviously I've done live recordings and live sound for people. And, and I'm familiar with, miking up a full band and getting a sound. I think you've actually done that probably a lot more than I have because of your show, right? NDATL, yeah. you do full bands with full multi-track recordings and, yep. and the film side of it. But, you know, it's that scenario where you've got a live band and you're recording everything at once and then you're mixing that and that's what the what goes out. Yeah. I mean, some, that may be a whole different topic uh, sometime is how to, how to deal with, uh, a recording scenario where you have a very small stage and everybody's crammed together and, you know, no matter what, you're going to get bleed all over everything. I mean, I think the, the best recording we got in the NDATL studio was your band quiet hounds when we did origin, but you spent like at least a week in there like, yeah. <laughs> and put the, you know, Michael's amp up inside of blankets and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, because you're all not right. trying to hear what's coming off the stage. Now we're really giving away the secrets. Uh -oh, sorry. It, it, take, it takes Deke a it week to get a sound for one live, one live show. <laughs> well, we were doing other things besides the sound, yeah. like lights. It's probably and all true that though. Yeah. And film all the film stuff and, you know. So I want to, I want to, I want to pull this back around to the, yeah, yeah, I want to pull this back around to what you originally said, which was talking about how people hear music based on the technology we use to record music. Right. So I think what we just touched on is interesting because all of that stuff is relevant because really what people are listening to is my perception of what a listener is going to like, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, that's totally. really what we're putting out as pieces of art is a band or a musician, or in a lot of cases, a producer who's kind of in charge of overseeing that production is deciding what it is that people either want to hear or what demographic of people that could potentially be listeners or, you know, buyers of this product, if you want to put it in those types of dirty talk, like, <laughs> um, you know, but, and I actually, it now that I'm even business, yeah, now that I'm even <laughs> saying this, it kind of makes me feel weird about being a producer at all, because, you know, I, I actually don't, that's not how I work. Um, I don't think about, when I'm making something, you know, how will this do in the commercial industry? Um, and maybe that's why I'm not a commercial success, but I don't, <laughs> right. th I don't think about things like that. I think about things more from the perspective of the artist, which is, are we making something authentic that speaks to the nature of the, the person that's writing the lyrics and the song and represents that person, you know, as a whole 
mm-hmm. and then also does something for, for me as a producer that's also, I feel like is unique and artistic and is going to be presented in a way that feels authentic. Nowhere in that equation did I ever think like, how will this do in any sense of commercial listening? Um, because I work as a producer relating to how I think people feel. Um, and that really is what it boils down to in the end is like music makes people feel something, right? Right. You know, I, I honestly think that there is something about authenticity that's going to make a crashing return. I think at some point people will get tired of the Instagram filters and the hyper reality and everything being absolutely perfect, including music. And I've seen this in other art forms as well, but I think honestly, all of that, there'll be a revolution. Now it may not be five years from now, you know, maybe 10 years from now, but, but I think you'll see a resurgence of, uh, in, in, you know, independent, you've seen it in cinema, like, um, uh, in the forties and fifties, they had the studio system where it, they had these large studios and everything was in the studios, costumes, all, you know, everything that you would need to make a film is in the set. They would build the sets inside a building. You know, you didn't have to worry about daylight because everything was perfectly controlled and they would just crank out movie after movie after movie. And then, uh, in the, in the sixties, there was a revel, a cinema revolution you know, people like Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, um, you know, even even before that. Um, and there was a different aesthetic and it was about going to on location to places. And so everything and the stories were different. You know, the stories were more authentic and they were about human beings and connecting and even the anti-hero and, you know, the the other flipped so anyway, I, I feel like in our culture, we're going to see that, that change at some point. We're, we're living in this era, though, where, you know, analog recording equipment has this huge boom in, you know, the market. I mean, vinyl is selling better than everything. Vinyl, but, you know, stuff like pre, I mean, buying preamps and microphones, this is a thing. There are new companies starting every day that are making ribbon microphones and, yeah. Uh, you know, so what you're talking about is it, it's weird. We're like in this weird time where it's like everything is happening all at once, right? You've got all of the stuff that's being made that sounds, and I'm going to use this term and I'm coining it and I've used it many times. Rolls has heard me say it. You better trademark it. Robots fucking is what I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, call a lot of radio music because it's all samples and it's all quantized and it's all auto-tuned and, and literally... <laughs> You know, growing up as a working, at, um, my dad's a cabinet maker, and I, so I grew up in a wood shop. And mm-hmm. what you find there is that he would run a table saw, and he would run a joiner and a planer. And but because he didn't, he would be moving in between machines. He didn't want to turn his machines off, and so they would all be they're loud, and they make this mechanical yeah, sound. Sure. Yeah, and they would actually harmonize with one another. You know, just eh, uh, and they would all just be on right. Uh huh. And that's kind of what music sounds like to me now. Just, it's just machines, you know, in, so, in, in this, like, I don't know, it's some weird, it's like judgment day or something. So I, I sent you that link the other day where uh, AI had created a new Nirvana track based on analyzing all of Kurt Cobain. And I, and I hate stuff. you for it. <laughs> 
It was it so was painful what, what's, to listen what's, to. What's your thought about that? You know, theoretically, computers can uh, resynthesize its data, well, its input. You know, in the in the example that you sent, where the where the computers had written the Nirvana song, it was atrocious. It lacked everything about the authenticity of Kurt Cobain in terms of how he sang a song, how he would write a melody, the syncopations yeah. of the song, and all it did was it just took algorithmic ideas from the songs that exist right mm -hmm. and then made an amalgamation of them right it's like when you see that photo that's like it's like a person you know one person's eyebrows and another person's ears and they make the perfect person and then they just look terrible you that's know, what like, it was like that's what yeah, the song was like that's what the song was like it was like it was like yeah but it's brad pitt's mouth it's like yeah but it's like too many other people's but it's not other brad stuff. Pitt. Yeah. um so yeah it was it was kind of painful but um, you're welcome. Yeah. I, another, another thought though, about this that I, I wanted to bring up so that we kind of stay on, on path here is that, yeah, I don't know if it's, it's just me as a person uh, maturing or whatever, but you know, as I've grown up learning to record, trying to do the very surrealistic idea, right. Making mm -hmm. art, making something that can't be uh, played in a room. The, the, the more I've done that and more I've learned that, you know, at the same time in this parallel, things have happened with technology to where everybody's doing that style of thing, right? Yeah. And so it's turned me off. And so I've gone the other directions, you know, so now I want to try to record things more, you know, more authentically. I want to make sure that I have mm -hmm. real performances and really good players. And I want to try to do cleaner captures of something real. Right. And then I try to marry that with this surrealistic thing that I still am kind of infatuated with. Um, That's what I was going to say is your production is sort of a hybrid model anyway. Yeah, but I think it's more, it's more in that trying to do things real because of kind of being turned off by how far the surrealistic thing has gone, you know? I mean, yeah, I totally get that, but it's not like you don't know how to use reason and can program a beat or, you know, the audio astronauts theme has some of that stuff in it, you know? Yeah. The totally. last quiet hounds record has a lot more keyboards and um, loops and things like that. So it's not like you're trying to be a, you know, what I consider a recordist, like a purist where you get all the boys in the room and try to capture what that performance sounds like. So, you know, and yeah. I think it makes for really interesting music. And I think it, I think it different, different projects call for different things. Um, and again, back to what we're saying here is, is using these tools and these different methods in order to deliver sound to someone that's going to hear it. Yeah. Um, it really all comes down to, to that. And I think the sad thing is, is, and I, I need to mention this because it, it really is something that kind of drives me nuts is that because of modern culture, because of, you know, radio, because of technology and what has kind of overtaken, right? Like even, mm -hmm. even like indie rock is not heard, right? I mean, you know, not saying that it's like the, you know, it's not the greatest thing ever, but like stuff like modern pop music, modern country music, you know, modern hip hop music, all of it, it's all made in this kind of same way, right? It's all very lacking and there may be some exceptions, but it's very lacking in this authentic thing that we're talking about. In, in, are you talking about what's play, played on the radio or, or not or even just the radio, made? but just it's in, it's in, 
it's in, you know, things that win awards, you know, I mean, it's just yeah, well, what's in the main I can't stream. watch the Grammys. Heather won't let me watch the Grammys because I throw a shoe at the TV. Yeah. <laughs> just, but, but what has happened to the listeners is the real story, right? Hmm. You know, I always used to use this as an example and I'll use it here because I have no problem bashing them, but like Nickelback, it's like, they're terrible. But if you go out in rural America, that's what people think of as rock and roll because it's what's been sold to them on the radio and, and in whatever, you know, any avenues that you want to say you get your music, it was pushed down their throats, right? And so what I'm saying is that these sounds that we are not really crazy about, these like super heavily sampled records and quantizing and auto-tune, they've actually become the norm to where listeners think that's what a good snare drum sounds like. That's what a good vocal sounds like. That's mm -hmm. what, you know, what good drumming is, is perfect quantized machine drumming, right? right. I think I would say normal listeners would associate good sounds with those sounds more than they would my sounds, which don't sound like that. My sounds sound imperfect. They sound textured. They sound harmonically rich. They sound, you know, they sound like something that is actually foreign to what people are no used to hearing now. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't say that's true across, you know, all art forms, but definitely the stuff that's like, popular in, in popular culture right now yeah I, I would say it's more like that if you were to flip the dial on the radio the majority of the stuff that you're going to listen to is not probably real drums and you probably get a little i think you do get more in the television industry not film but television you probably do get some of these well-recorded you know, songwriters because you've got um, good mu music supervisors that are music aficionados and they'll go out and find the interesting stuff. I mean, and, and, and honestly, honestly, those, those are the people that used to be in the record industry back in the sixties and seventies are those, that's where those people are now. Right. Exactly. And I'm not saying those exact people, I'm saying like the people that fulfilled that role, yeah. that role doesn't exist in the music industry anymore. It exists in the television industry. So something that was announced yesterday that was pretty interesting is uh, AT&T um, had purchased Time Warner, which includes HBO, you know, Warner Brothers music, all, you know, uh, all of that stuff. And they decided yesterday that they're spinning out Warner Media uh, to Discovery, uh, which is uh, Food Network and those folks. And so they realize these telecom people realize we don't know what we're doing in the, in the content industry. So let's give it back to people that know, you know, arguably, you know, you probably don't watch a lot of food network, but arguably discovery networks is actually pretty good at what they do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so giving, giving that, it, I mean, it's still a, a vertically integrated corporation. And so it'll still be a little, you know, watered down and, and whatnot. So, um, but I just thought, I thought that was interesting that um, because the, to your point, like a lot of these record industry, record labels, you know, there are only three left in the world, uh, big, large ones and um, uh, are run by suits are run by accountants. And so, you know, it's one of those things like they used to make movies, um, 
you know, after that era that I was talking about with independent movies and you got some really interesting stories, they, um, unfortunately star Wars was made, jaws was made and they were like, Oh, blockbuster, we can make a lot of money. And so they had these, what they call tent pole movies, which is like the Harry Potter franchise or Lord yeah. of the Rings or something like that, where, um, they, um, and that's why you see all these comic book because it's easy instead of trying to create a brand new thing from scratch, you're going to take a property that already has some commercial appeal and recognize uh, is recognizable. (laughs) And you're going to put your investment in there and it's done by committee. Um, And they have screening pre-release screenings and, you know, about certain endings and they'll change the thing. Uh, I read an article yesterday about how they took, um, uh, the last Star Wars movie away from J.J. Abrams. Like he did the first, these are the sequels, that he did the yeah. first one and it was a commercial success, did really well and didn't bring him back for the second one. It was all weird, didn't do very well. And then they were like, oh damn, we're gonna, gotta bring J.J. back. So they brought J.J. back and then they re-edited his damn movie Yeah, and it made even less money than the second one that everybody hated. I'm glad that you brought those up because I think what you're talking about here, which is big, huge money, like this is like 300 million dollars. This is like a massive boulder rolling down a mountain, (laughs) you know, that is unstoppable, right? It's the same reason it's it goes it, it it ties into what I'm talking about with what listeners know as good, right? These this massive behemoth of money and business is now changing, you know, the artistic expression of a writer, a director, actors, all this. They're deciding, you know, what people they're like, okay, th- this we know will sell, this will work. So why bother with anything that's actual artistic expression or artistic integrity? What's you know, they've they're trying to eliminate that by doing what you're saying. Like, and this is the same thing in music. You know, let's take an artist that we know is successful, that sounds good. Let's rip them off from the way they sound, the way their production is, the way they write their songs. And we'll do that and we'll be successful. And it works. And that's really sad uh, for our culture because the more we do that, the more we harm the innate um, artistic expression of human beings, right? Which is about, exactly, it's about humanity. You've actually stripped away all of the humanity if, if all of your if all of the music that's being recorded is like a big marvel movie right it's it's just too much and there are a few things that are succeeding in the industry that that you know do have substance and you know i always kind of say this but i you know i grew up um with my my uncle who's a banjo player and um is is buddies with sam bush and uh bella so, fleck and um you know did he play bl- bluegrass he, yeah, he plays bluegrass. He still plays. And um, that's awesome. My know, dad I grew up was around in a bluegrass. That. My yeah, dad, your dad was played in... Dobro, right? Dobro, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> but I didn't really appreciate that music when I was young. I was, you know, I was in Nirvana and, you know, 90s grunge and stuff like that. And so I didn't. Um... It's not really for kids. You weren't the demographic. Yeah, at the time, you know, but the, the older time. I've gotten, the more I've appreciated the level of songwriting. Uh, craft that's in a lot of bluegrass music and you know there's there's this kind of crossover bluegrass that's you know poppy like too Al- but even Alison even Krauss. that's Allison Krauss is incredible I mean and Union Station like Jillian Welsh and that kind of uh stuff there's the, like the Oh Brother Where Thou soundtrack is amazing yeah 
Um, produced by T-Bone Burnett. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that that's still happening. And that that industry, the bluegrass, I mean, I'm, I'm using the word industry, but, you know, that just that scene is is still it is still flourishing. There's still a, a live, a, a lively scene you know, there. And those people can play their instruments like way better than basically anybody I've ever met. You know, I mean, they can really play and they're actually writing, you know, quality songs. And I, there's a little bit of that happening Absolutely. in country, a little bit of it in country. There's but a little like, crossover, but because those people hang in the same circles, people are able to go out and seek some small record that few people have heard that that is like this really authentic kind of gem. Mm -hmm. um like i don't know if you've listened to jose gonzalez mm -mm. um he um he had a band called junip oh yeah 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 I know yeah junip. so so the i don't know i think i think junip only made one record i may be wrong but the record that i know of junip's i just adore i love it it's it's everything we're talking about it has nothing to do with like how good this record sounds it's uh -huh. all about how it feels and because of how awesome it feels it sounds amazing you know it's yeah. it's that kind of thing but jose gonzalez is still i think he just put a single out okay. and um he plays almost exclusively classical guitar like uh -huh. not not the style necessarily but like he plays on a classical so it has this very mm -hmm. um identifiable sound in this more like nylon um, strings pop, yeah but he's but his songs are very melodic they're very um i don't want to say pop is not the right way but you know kind of like how i make music i mean they have choruses and they you have, mean it actually has a sense uh yeah a melody and a, a yeah they have stuff that, that you you know that's that's ear candy in them but but they're done in this everything he's ever recorded man you he has a band camp page with all these singles or like things he did with these like a, a cool little like quartet, like an orchestra or some mm -hmm. other like musicians and some other band. And then he puts them all out on his Bandcamp page. And so you can kind of like hear all these different things he's done, but they all sound freaking incredible. And it's not again, because the engineering was the best engineering or because it was recorded through a certain type of gear. I don't even know how they record his records to be honest, but I can imagine from listening to them that it's something pretty organic. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but somebody like him, like, how do the masses become familiarized with those types of sounds? You know what I'm saying? They don't, they can't, they they don't have access they, to Jose Gonzalez because spot like Spotify is I not mean, putting him on the do. front page. The record labels are not promoting music like that. Radio will not put music like that there anymore there's, there's no, no money in that there's no that's what i'm saying because there's no money in the artistic expression the the mass consumers have no access to the expression of the human art that is in music it's really a sad state i mean for for me you know somebody that does an indie music show um i would get a lot of my artists from uh wres 88.5 the uh, you know georgia state's radio station uh you know they have a hundred thousand watt transmitter they're one of the best college radio stations in the world and you know the the students that would you know manage and and run the promotions there were really 
interesting had an interesting ear uh mm-hmm. and it, you know it's maybe not everybody's cup of tea and i kind of like the quirkiness of it you know i would get people from them that were very pop oriented like the brunettes from new zealand um and i would get um you know metal people from them and i'd get all you know djs and um and so anyway um there's something about uh, the point i'm making here is there was something about their curatorial aspect it's not that uh the junip guy is not available to everybody it's how do you how do you discover him what's yeah. the platform because spotify he's on spotify i'm sure right he's on bandcamp you said so i mean how do you get through the noise and i yeah. I, I think this is trouble in culture in in general like you know there are how many there's some ungodly amount of days of youtube videos that get uploaded to youtube every day and so how do you cut through how do you cut through i mean so with with youtube and and spotify there's um you know an algorithm but a human being is not an algorithm yeah i i think it i think it is this you mentioned this cyclical idea before but yeah because the masses and i'm not using that word in a derogatory way you know i definitely have been guilty of that in the past but the masses who listen to music are only going to listen to music by way of how it is presented in the largest format so that would be radio commercial radio potentially potentially something with spotify um and Apple Music, you know, big movies, um, things like that, right? That's where that's where the masses are going to hear music, right? Okay, so no. yeah. wh- where do the people, where do the people that become the people who are going to work for WRAS <laughs> and then find artists, you know, what did they grow up listening to? What well, is know, what is their musical sensibility? is that you know georgia state brings students from all over the state of georgia all over the world arguably um you know we have a large international population at georgia state um but a lot of these kids are very much like your experience where you grew up uh, you know in rural georgia and then um and then moved to atlanta later and were introduced to things you know obviously your friends introduce you to stuff out there but um Anyway, well, so I was I don't fortunate know. That's enough. A, that's a good I was question. fortunate though. I was fortunate. You were that, actually fortunate. Somebody turned you on to the Nirvana and the Beatles. And, well, but but again, and your uncle was a musician. That's not, not everybody's it, like that. The way but, that I the way that I got into music was from mass marketed commercial radio. Like Nirvana and the '90s grunge scene would well, not have true. existed if it started right now, no, because because it would not get the support that it needed to get in front of enough people for, for the consensus of ears to say, that's what music sounds like. Well, never mind. Wasn't their first record. No, but it was their second. Third. I think there was a record before bleach. Was that, I know incesticide I was, uh, like well, those a, are B sides and, and whatnot, yeah. but yes, I think there, I think there was, and it was probably a cassette tape or something. 
But either way, but my commerc- point being, commercially bleach and then never mind. But my point being is that on those albums, you know, bringing it back to engineering and and making records, Andy Wallace, you had, you did have, you did have in the nineties the thing that I'm not sure if we've brought up yet, but the. That, that you know Andy Wallace using snare samples on a lot of the records that came out of the time like I think Rage Against the Machine, Rage Against em- Machine Empire has a you know a same sample that you would hear on you know maybe a Nirvana record or something like that but yeah even with those again we're not talking about take away all of the interesting tools to make surrealistic art but what we're saying is the more those tools have overtaken and then the more that the big machine has pushed the sound of those tools, the less likely it is that consumers on the other end will ever know that something like Jose Gonzalez and the way his recordings are, are actually good. They will actually think, oh, that's a bad recording because it doesn't sound like Lady Gaga. You see what I'm saying? It's it's all about perception. For sure. I mean, but the record label did feel like they had to come in and take Butch Vig's material from Nirvana, from Nevermind, and bring in a ringer and make it commercially viable. That's true. There was a story that I don't have all the facts, but there was this this story that they had these two guys come in on that record called The Drum Doctors. Have you heard about this? Uh, There's a, yeah. I think so. I mean, there's a there's a there's a set of people that go around LA studios and they they bring in certain kits and they tune them up and all of that. Is that Yeah, they would they would go in, but they they also not just tune the drums, but they did these things where they would like they would create these tunnels for the kick drum and all this Uh, to me uh sounds like absolute ridiculous bullshit. Like it sounds like a circus show. And again, I don't know how much of this is true, but even if it is true. Yeah. Again, it, I'm not saying that, you know, Andy Wallace used a sample on Rage Against the Machine of Evil Empire, so therefore that's garbage or, or, or that's the right way to do things or any of that. All I'm saying is that because this has gotten taken so far out of control, right, there's no, mm-hmm. you know, every single human being can buy a laptop, logic, download a sample pack of this stuff, make a record that sounds like the radio, the, the basic consumer, the basic listener, they actually have to have a life, a journey through their own life that leads them down a path to make a decision about sound and music. And that's just not really going to happen unless you're a musician, unless you're a somebody that's really interested in music and wants to be a part of the industry. So effectively, we're only, we're only making music that sounds good with artistic integrity for the people within that small niche because the people outside of that small niche don't really have access to what we're trying to make, right? Because they don't know it's there and they're never going to go on their own personal journey to find it. I I think that, uh, I think this is a good place to set it down for now, (laughs) but I, I would say if you are still listening to this podcast out there, please leave us a message somewhere. Tell us what you think about this. Tell us what you think about, you know, the state of modern music, about the thing, the state of the culture of music and artistry. And if you're a musician or you're an engineer or something, you know, how you feel about it, what it, what it means to you, because, you know, we're only two people with our own two perspectives. And, um, you know, this is a pretty, this is a pretty big topic and a, a pretty interesting topic that I would love to hear other people's thoughts on. 
guys, if you are enjoying the podcast and you want to hear more, we have a whole backlog of episodes up on SoundCloud, and you can find those by searching Audio Astronauts on SoundCloud. And they feature Rolls and I doing music reviews on records that we really love. Uh, Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.